Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to The Takeaway. I'm Janae Pierre, and for Melissa Harris-Perry. Incompetent, hostile, failure. These are words that might belong in a really bad argument with a partner or colleague. But if you're pregnant, you might be hearing these from your doctors, and they might be talking about your uterus. The hostile uterus refers to a uterus that doesn't really want anything to do with sperm. Chemically, it's maybe not as amenable to sperm implantation. Hi, my name is Rachel E. Gross, and I'm a science journalist and the author of Vagina Obscura. Rachel recently explored the strange medical lexicon of pregnancy. Her article in The Atlantic is called, Don't Call My Cervix Incompetent. In the older medical language, an incompetent cervix is a cervix that basically opens too early in the pregnancy process, and that can cause a lot of problems with the pregnancy. So we need a term to refer to that. But why does that term have to be incompetent? That doesn't sound very scientific. It sounds downright mean. I would totally agree with you, Janae. (laughs) Interestingly, most doctors did not really notice those connotations that you and I are picking up on when they first learned the terms. Another example that I was often given was failure to progress, which is talking about when you're in labor and it's going more slowly than usual, um, or failure to thrive, which applies to an infant um, who's having struggles. Doctors often just equated that with like, you know, heart failure, kidney failure. It's just this neutral and objective term. Whereas a lot of moms and people who were pregnant were feeling pretty judged by these terms, feeling like they were very harsh. You know, medicine has been a very patriarchal institution for a very long time, and it and its language are really slow to change. So it's not really surprising we'd have this kind of hangover of sort of dismissive and rude terms Mm -hmm. to describe patients. But how does this language impact those patients who are diagnosed with such conditions? Like, how does it make a pregnant woman feel? Oh, man. Um, I talked to quite a few women, um, especially ones who had been called geriatric pregnancies. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a weird term where it's not like geriatric mother, it's like geriatric pregnancy. And the medical term on their files was usually elderly prima gravida, essentially the same thing. They told me that it really heightened their anxiety during their pregnancy. And essentially, they were 35 or older when they got pregnant. Many of them had very healthy and problem-free pregnancies. But when they heard that term, they felt a lot more worried. Now, aside from how these terms make patients feel, what's wrong with these terms in the first place? Besides the super weird implication that your organs are sort of characters that are malfunctioning or just like employees that are failing their annual exam, they're actually not very precise medical terms. So they're not that useful to doctors. Uh, And I give the example of geriatric pregnancy, which again, it stems from the 1970s. It basically came from this calculation about the risk of amniocentesis um, to a fetus versus the risk a fetus would be born with a certain genetic abnormality. And at around 35, we thought that the risk was equal. So anyone over 35 would fall into this category that got called geriatric pregnancy. 
Nowadays, first of all, that calculation is not accurate. It's not relevant. It's pretty arbitrary. But second of all, using purely age and lumping a huge swath of people into this category is really vague and is not the best way to assess medical risk. Um, It's also the case that more and more people are getting pregnant after this age. So one in five pregnancies in the U.S. is a person who's 35 or over. That's not some niche, small category. Mm -hmm. That's a huge portion of pregnant people. Another example is the failure to progress. A lot of people um, in nursing and birth education say that often what's really happening is a failure to wait. Um, So there's kind of a debate over whether that term makes it sound like it's the birthing person's fault and that you need to take immediate intervention, when in some cases you might not. So it kind of muddies the water. More on this after the break. It's The Takeaway. Carnegie Hall has welcomed a dizzying array of performers. To have Andy Kaufman, Frank Zappa, and Birgit Nielsen and Horowitz on the same stage, it becomes this kaleidoscope of our history. I'm Jessica Bosk. Join me for the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk. It's all about our unique cultural history, as witnessed by one of New York's most beloved institutions, Carnegie Hall. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. We're speaking with science journalist Rachel E. Gross about the strange and sometimes dehumanizing medical language around pregnancy. She explains how terms like geriatric pregnancy aren't just hurtful to patients, but also lack specificity that can help direct appropriate medical care. There are other terms in, for instance, uh, women's health that are pretty vague. So one that I hear about a lot is vulvodynia, which generally just means long-lasting pain in the vulva region, so in the female genitals. And the term is a diagnosis, but it doesn't give us any information about the cause of that pain, the mechanism, how to treat it. So it's sort of like a non-diagnosis. In the weight space, I had an adolescent pediatrician talk to me about why obese is, first of all, so many problems with the BMI. But second of all, obese is, again, this huge catch-all that captures like a huge range of people with different health risks. Whereas if you talk about like you're in the 90th percentile of weight for your age range, then that is a more precise way of looking at risk and category. The last time you spoke with us on The Takeaway, we talked to you about your book, Vagina Obscura. And during that conversation, we learned about how many terms for vagina and related body parts, those kind of stem from shame. Is that also an undercurrent with this medical terminology? Yeah, I would say so. Right. So we talked about a term that was in use for a long time for the vulva or female genitals called the pudendum, which means the part for which you should be ashamed. Uh, And there's a bunch of other terms like that. Uh, The word shamlippen in German means shame lips, and that's labia. Um, So there is this tendency to attach shame to that part of the female body. Um, And when I looked at the language we use for pregnancy, there were similar connotations But I think I would say it's more like blame. There's sort of this active blame that's being put on the person who is pregnant uh, and this implication that their 
body or parts of their body are malfunctioning and aren't working as they're supposed to. And that's where like weird terms like incompetent cervix come in that sound like your cervix had one job and it isn't doing it. So maybe we should bring this up in its next annual review. You know, I'm thinking about the ways that Black women in particular experience harm in OBGYN medicine. I mean, we can trace it as far back as slavery, right, with Dr. J. Marion Sims. How might such language compound that harm? Yes, I actually spoke to a vice dean at Columbia Medical School about this, and um, she herself researches equity and inclusion um, and also is a Black woman who gave birth after the age of 35. So she was faced with that geriatric pregnancy label. At the same time, she was really concerned about the ways that she was going to be sidelined in her own care. She knew the stats about Black maternal mortality. She was dealing with fertility issues. So it did sort of add this complication where she felt like, you know, in a way, her authority was sort of being undermined yet again. And she was working really hard to have a voice in her own pregnancy plan. She also mentioned that there are stereotypes for Black women about being like super fertile. And so things like infertility problems can really fall through the cracks. So basically, she was juggling all of these different perceptions about Black women within medicine as somebody who was exquisitely aware of the impact of these things um, and doing her best to be super prepared for it. Uh, and I think that talking to her made me realize that if you're not yourself in medicine and have sort of these levels of authority and are going through this experience, it would be so much more confusing and easier to get slotted into these stereotypes. Mm -hmm. You spoke with some people about how this language actually deeply impacted their medical treatment itself. Can you tell us about one of them? Yeah, so I spoke to a few women from some pregnancy and motherhood groups, um, and one of them was 37 when she became pregnant for the first time. It was a completely healthy pregnancy, but she was termed a geriatric pregnancy. And basically what she said is she really appreciated that these terms trigger like the medical apparatus to uh, add extra monitoring, extra testing, and have insurance often cover these things because you're considered higher risk. Um, at the same time, she wasn't worried before. She was in this like blissful new state of being newly pregnant and having kind of these pieces come together in her life. And now suddenly she was thinking about all this risk she was incurring and feeling very blamed as someone who hadn't made the right choices or had things line up for her in her life. After her first pregnancy actually went totally smoothly, uh, she really wanted another, but she kind of wavered for about four years because she was so worried that, like in her words, lightning wouldn't strike twice or that it would be selfish to want another healthy baby after the age of 37. Um, and eventually it did happen for her. But she said if she wasn't so worried about the risks, she would have just had another child um, immediately after the first. Why have some medical terms evolved and others haven't? Yeah, that was sort of the central question of this piece. The two examples that I focused on were geriatric pregnancy is sort of mostly recognized as a pretty inappropriate and kind of patronizing term that just sounds absurd these days, uh, given the age that people give birth. The other one is pregnant people. So there was a really big push in the past year for a ton of different organizations, including like pregnancy medical organizations, to switch from pregnant women to pregnant people. Um, and part of that was the fall of Roe versus Wade and the rise of attacks on transgender health care. 
made it clear that we need to be inclusive and accurate when we talk about who gives birth, who uses healthcare that's often called women's health care, um, and who can and does get an abortion. This language is still under debate, but it moved really quickly within medicine, which is very rare. Um, and I think there are also some good efforts to be specific. So if a journal is talking about a study that talked to 100 pregnant people who are all identifying as women, then it uses pregnant women. If they're not sure how people identify using pregnant people is the more inclusive and accurate term. So these words did evolve. And I think it's just because they got this public spotlight. So they became enmeshed in these huge public debates and kind of the squeaky wheel gets the grease. <laughs> but these are the words that floated up to the public consciousness and other ones like incompetent cervix uh, really just have kind of flown below the radar, even though they're much overdue for a retooling. Yeah. So I, I think as we become aware of more of these kind of terms, probably medicine will react, you know, at their normal pace, but as quick as they can. Rachel E. Gross is a science journalist and the author of the book Vagina Obscura, An Anatomical Voyage. Her recent piece in The Atlantic is called Please Don't Call My Cervix Incompetent. Rachel, thanks for coming back. Thanks so much, Janae. 